0: invite you to to grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, and I uh, invite you to stand as well. 1 Peter chapter 1. The text for tonight's message is uh, verses 10 to 12, but we'll go ahead and start reading at, at verse 1. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let us pray. Our great God and our loving Father, we come to you this evening once more and we ask that you would bless our time together. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless he who speaks and them who hear. We pray, O Lord, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, that we would remember these things and practice these things and meditate upon these things. Lord, give comfort to the afflicted this evening. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless our time. Help us, O God, for we are weak. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, some of you know that when Caroline and I moved from Arizona to California to come to seminary, there were a couple bumps on, on the road over we moved uh, from Phoenix to California in May of 2021. Uh, one day, we loaded up all of our earthly belongings to the back of a horse trailer. Because if you're from Bakersfield, that's how you move your stuff in horse trailers. We load up our stuff in the back of a horse trailer. We're making great time going west down the tin. And suddenly, a puff of smoke comes from the engine of the truck that was pulling the trailer. And so we pulled over to the side of the road. Palm Desert, the winds are going about 30 miles an hour, and it took quite a few hours for a truck big enough to come tow that. And then we had to go back the next day and get the now broken down truck and our, our horse trailer with all our earthly belongings in it. And then a couple of months later, we were about to move uh, to Escondido to, to start seminary. And I think it was two Sundays before class started our landlord texted us and said, the apartment we had lined up for you isn't going to work out. We gave it to someone else. And so we, we began uh, to scramble. And if you tried to rent an apartment in North County in summer of 2021, you probably didn't because um, it, was, it was very, very difficult then. But after a few of these bumps in, in the road, these difficult circumstances, I was s- sort of beginning to wonder if I had made the right decision in coming to seminary. And I called a pastor friend of mine, and I asked him, is this God's way of telling me that I'm not supposed to be doing this or that I made the wrong decision? And I think Peter's audience in this text, they're in somewhat of a similar situation. To be fair, it's far more precarious than not being able to find an apartment. But we've already seen throughout the beginning of this letter that Peter is writing to a group of sojourners or or a group of exiles. And we've considered in in previous messages walking through this book that his audience are not sojourners by mere happenstance or or by choice, but this great expense has come to them at the cost of being a Christian. So many parents here, you, you know well the experience of your children not getting what they want, and they ask, do you not love me? oh, you must not like me. Or perhaps you maybe been in a bad mood from something that happened earlier in the day, or maybe you're just contemplating about something and your spouse asks, are you mad at me? I think it's human nature that when things don't go our way, we want to ask, is God punishing me? Or is God really in control of this situation? And I think it's very likely that Peter's audience is asking this very, very question. They've lost land and wealth and stability, and they want to know if this is really God's plan for them, or are things not going according to plan? Because likely the the circumstances of their life were, were not the plan they had for themselves. And so this brings us to our first point that the prophets searched. And so Peter wants to correct this faulty way of thinking, of blaming things on on God, asking, is God punishing me? He wants to correct this way of thinking and assure his readers that the sojourners are are not living in God's plan gone awry. They're not playing for the JV team. They are not living in God's plan B or D or E or F. God's plan for the church in Christ is his plan A for his redemptive purposes. The sojourners might be looking back on the glory days of Israel and wishing they were living in them. They may look back to the glories of the temple or the strength of David's army or the beauty of the land that they once inherited. And they might wish that they were living in the good old days. But what Peter tells us in this passage that even in the good old days, the prophets looked forward to these very times to these very circumstances. And this is why he says in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And so despite these prophets of the Old Testament having the glories of Israel, they're still looking forward to the grace that is ours today. But we may ask what exactly were they looking forward to? And what exactly did they know? How much did these Old Testament prophets really know? Now, for those of you who who did not grow up in in the OPC, you might get a little skittish when a pastor, or much worse, an intern, starts to talk about biblical prophecy, um, because you've heard some difficult sermons. Uh, You've heard some interesting sermons go down some interesting roads before, right? And it's not hard if, if you go online to find sermons of how Old Testament prophets predicted our current events, how, you know, they're going to put a microchip in you so you can pay for all your stuff, and that's going to be the mark of the beast, or whatever these political alliances, alliances are going on in the Middle East. We, we've uh, likely have all heard sermons like this, But let me ask you, though, is that what Peter is is talking about? If we look down at these verses, if we look down at verses 10 to 12, what does Peter say the prophets were primarily concerned about? Were the prophets primarily concerned about who the Antichrist might be? Were the prophets primarily concerned about the Mark of the Beast, or Vladimir Putin, or Joe Biden, or whoever? No, Peter is saying that the prophets... He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets searched and inquired carefully about the grace that was to be yours. And it is this salvation and this grace is what Peter has been talking about in the preceding verses. When we talk about this salvation, when we talk about the gospel, I think we can often boil it down too simplistically. We can be a little one-dimensional and just say the gospel means that Jesus died for my sins so that I could go to heaven, which is a true statement, but it's a little in- incomplete. When Peter speaks of, of this salvation in verse 10, he's not boiling down our, our salvation to simply the fact that we can go to heaven or simply to the fact uh, of the reality of being born again. But he, he, he unpacks it. He tells us in verse 2 that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He speaks of our sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. We know that verse 3, we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that verse 4 is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, that is kept in heaven for us. And verse 5 is being guarded by God Even now in heaven. And so, this salvation that Peter's talking about in in verse 10, that the prophets search for and long for, is not boiled down to merely being born again, but it, it has that, but it also includes our calling, our regeneration, our justification, our adoption, our sanctification, our perseverance, and even our glorification. And it is this salvation that, that comes through, through Christ. And in Christ, we can receive all of his benefits. This salvation gives us comfort both in this life and in the one to come. This salvation redeems us from sin and all its consequences. It is this salvation that Peter and the prophets are concerned about. They're not primarily concerned with our current events or our current civil leaders, but they're primarily concerned, again, with this salvation and with our great Savior. And so if we wanted to answer the question, what exactly did the prophets search for? Peter answers answers this. He's even more specific in verse 11. In the first part, he says that they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. And so, again, I want to be uh, really clear that the prophets look forward to the person or time of this salvation. Peter does not say that they were searching and inquiring about who would be elected president in 2024. They were not searching and inquiring about what alliances Vladimir Putin will form. No, they searched and inquired about the person or time of this salvation. The prophets knew that a Messiah would come, but they didn't know the exact person and the exact time. And so Peter here in verse 11 speaks to both the differences and the continuity between the Old Testament and and the New Testament. And the differences aren't day and night. They, They aren't a radical difference, but it is a degree of revelation. It's the same faith, but a different degree of revelation, what I mean by that is the saints in the Old Testament are saved by faith, but they're looking forward to the person of Christ. They are trusting in God's promises. Where saints in the New Testament know that he has come, and we can look backwards to Christ. So, so Peter points out that the prophets looked forward to this time and this salvation, and this is pointing to the unity and continuity of the faith of, of both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And so we never want to say that the New Testament contradicts the Old Testament, but the New Testament gives light to the Old Testament. Where there are shadows in the Old Testament, the New Testament turns the lights on. And this is even further confirmed by Peter when he says that it was the Spirit of Christ that was in them indicating The Spirit of Christ is just another way to say the Holy Spirit, again, pointing to the continuity between the New Testament and Old Testament. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit inspiring these prophets and apostles. It's the same God, same Holy Spirit, inspiring the same message. And so the reference to the Spirit of Christ shows us that the Old Testament is not merely the musing, Of some ancient Israelites, but it is inspired by God. And so, while the prophets do have a lot to say about their own context and their own troubles, what does Peter say that the Spirit of Christ was indicating in them in these writings? Again, was the Spirit of Christ primarily indicating in them our current events or even their current events? What does Peter say? Peter says that the spirit of Christ was indicating, verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And this brings us to our second point, that the prophet suffered. So if I were to ask you, what did Christ come to do? What was his mission? The sojourners Peter is writing to may be discouraged by their circumstances. They likely are they may have expected that Christ would bring an end to their suffering and restore them back to their promised land. According to Peter, the prophets are concerned with the glory of Christ. But we should note here in verse 11 that suffering precedes glory. And so before we speak of the glories of Christ, we have to speak of the sufferings of Christ. It's our tendency as human beings, both as Christians and non-Christians to paint Jesus in our own image. And a suffering Jesus isn't always very popular. Some want to look at Jesus and say, see, he's a modern-day socialist. And others want to point to Jesus and say, see, he's totally a capitalist. Everyone wants Jesus on their own side for their own agenda. But Jesus didn't come to give us economic policies. Jesus did not come to give us political parties or fortune cookie advice to live by. Peter tells us, and the prophets tell us, that Jesus came to suffer. And this is why it is no small part of our confession that we say Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Peter mentions Christ's suffering because he suffered on our behalf as our mediator, it was necessary that Jesus suffer on our behalf because we have sinned. And there's this common myth in, in some Christian circles that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God will save me. And this common myth teaches that, the only, really, that only really, really bad people go to hell. But if I'm just good enough. If my good deeds outweigh all the bad I've done, I'll, I'll go to heaven. But but that's not what God requires of us. He does not merely require that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. God does not merely require us to be good people. I think if you were to take a random survey, if you were to go out on Cruising Grand on, on Friday night and ask someone on a scale of one to ten, how good do you have to be to get into heaven? What answers might you, might you get? I asked somebody one time and they said a four. I don't know how they, they came up with that. But you would probably, you would, you know, six, seven, I imagine you would hear quite a bit. But the requirement for eternal life is not a six or a seven or an eight or a nine. The requirement for eternal life is personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience So in other words, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good do you have to be to get into heaven? You must score a perfect 10. And obviously, we've all failed, right? Because Adam failed and because we failed, we are liable for punishments in this world and the one to come. But the good news of the gospel, the good news that the prophets searched and inquired about is that Christ suffered on our behalf, Christ, the eternal Son of God, became a man on our behalf behalf, that He would perform that personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience required by God and that He would suffer for us as our mediator. Our Lord Jesus laid down His life, as the confession says, as the catechism says, as an offering for sin, enduring the painful, shameful, and cursed death of the cross. And because Christ has suffered on our behalf, we can receive adoptions as sons and daughters, and we can have access to the throne of grace. It was necessary that Christ would suffer on our behalf, that we may experience the glories of God. And it was necessary that our Lord Jesus, that he would first suffer and die before he was resurrected and ascended, and then sat at the right hand of the Father. By speaking first of suffering and then glory here in 1 Peter, the apostle reminds us that our Lord Jesus first wore a crown of thorns before a crown of glory. And as our Lord Jesus suffered, so we as Christians must suffer too at times. But the hope we have is that we know that our suffering does not come without glory. We know that Christ, through his suffering, has purchased for us redemption, adoption, and eternal life with Him. And the fact that we now know these things clearly is what the prophets searched for and longed for. And Peter says even the angels wanted to look into this. He says in verse 12, "...it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." things into which angels long to look. And this brings us to our third point that the prophets served. There is a certain school of thought out there that thinks it's inappropriate or or cavalier to put Christ at the center of Old Testament interpretation. And a common phrase you may hear from from this camp is, take off your your New Testament glasses when when you're reading the, the Old Testament. To be fair, I think there is definitely something to be said about seeing what Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah said in their immediate context. I think there's some fairness there. But what does Peter tell us about the prophets and how they studied the Bible? Peter tells us that even the prophets had their New Testament glasses on. They were searching for the person or time that the Spirit was indicating. And the good news, part of the good news is that it was revealed to them. They were serving not themselves, but you. They were serving us. So Calvin says of this passage that the prophets, they spread the table that others might afterwards feed on the provisions laid on it. And so Peter wants us to see in this passage that all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the prophets, anywhere, it all points to Christ and is for our benefit. But he also wants us to see that Christ has suffered on our behalf. He's writing again to Christians who are sojourners, who are suffering because of their commitment to Christ. And he wants them to see, and he wants us to see, that both the suffering of Christ and the suffering we experience is not a failure of God's plan. We are not living in plan B or plan D or even plan Z. We are living... In plan A, we, we still suffer in this life, though, right? Occasionally, our car breaks down in, in, in Palm Desert. Sometimes our, our children do not obey. We, we get sick. We, we struggle in, in our marriages. But we know that our suffering does not come Without glory, because our Lord Jesus suffered and then was glorified. And he promises us both hope in this life and in the one to come. And so, all people, Christian or non Christian, we all suffer, but the joy of the Christian is we know that we are not afflicted by chance. This is not random suffering that we experience in our life, but through the infallible or through the perfect providence. Of God. And so the plan of Christ's suffering and ours that we now know that the prophets long for, this, this plan of Christ's suffering is the plan that the prophets searched for and the angels longed to look into. We have this plan clearly announced to us. Peter says in verse 12, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, what the prophets searched for what the angels were anxious to look into is now given to us clearly through the preaching of Christ, through the preaching of the gospel. And so for those of us who suffer in this life, which in reality is is all of us, we can take comfort knowing that our Lord Jesus suffered first on our behalf and that we likewise will inherit the glories to come in him and by his suffering We will inherit eternal life. So he calls all of us to take comfort in him and to trust him that he has suffered on our behalf. He calls those this evening who do not believe in him to come and behold the wonderful mystery that has now been revealed to us through the proclamation of the gospel. He calls us to trust in him not merely as a good and moral teacher. Not merely as someone who can fix society's ills, but come and trust in him who obeyed on our behalf, who suffered on our behalf, who is now ruling and reigning. He calls us all to come to him and trust him. Let us pray. Our great God and loving Father, there is no greater gift that you have given to us than your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, where Adam felled and where we have fell, to keep that perfect obedience to you, your son Jesus kept that obedience. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And not only did he live a perfect and sinless life, but he died on our behalf. He took on, the, he took on our, our suffering. Lord, we look to him this evening. Help us, O oh God, to, to remember these truths that our Lord Jesus suffered on our, our behalf, that he has given us hope in this life and the life to come. Help us, O Lord, to trust him and to know him better. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.